everyone, and welcome back to the Redbeard Outdoors podcast. This is Jonathan, your host, and here at Redbeard Outdoors, we talk about faith, family, fitness, and the outdoors. And today, I've got an awesome guest. It's the Saturday sit-down edition, and uh, the guest I've got today is Gray Thornton. He is from the Wild Sheep Foundation, and he's got a pretty interesting story to tell. So it was cool getting to interview him, and he might have convinced me to eventually get into sheep hunting. Uh, I want to tackle elk hunting first though. <laughs> uh, but he's a great guy. Cool story. Uh, we'll get into that in just a minute. Um, I just wanted to shout out a couple of the sponsors and affiliates of the show. Uh, thank you so much to, to them. And if you guys are in the market for any of these products that I'm going to mention, I definitely want you to save some money. Go check out these amazing companies. I don't just try and sell you stuff. I genuinely believe in these companies. I use the products and I want you to get the same out of it. So uh, let's start off with First Form. Uh, they're the best, by far, hands down, supplement company that I found. I use the fish oil, multivitamin, greens on a daily basis. And if I need a protein shake, uh, you know, I throw that in there. Uh, that's generally what I do after my workout is I'll do some isolate protein with a quick digesting carb. But you can go check it out. Again, I don't recommend that you take any stimulants or any of that unless you check with your doctor and see if that's okay. But as far as a multivitamin, everyone can use one of those. Fish oils, greens, if you're not getting enough in your diet, definitely go check them out. Another company that I work with, Absolute Aid, great CBD chewables, THC free. So definitely go check out. They have multiple formulas, one for focus, one for relief. That's the one that I tend to gravitate towards just because uh, you know, some of the days when you train hard, it's just going to happen that you're sore the next day, take the edge off, get some CBD chewables. You know what, guys, I work with some awesome companies, but I'll have to say Alpen Fuel makes the best, hands down, granola out there. And they're gluten-free. My favorite flavor is the cranberry with white chocolate as uh, their newest flavor. But they have some awesome flavors uh, outside of that as well. Go check them out. Get that. Get stocked up for your next backpacking, camping, hunting adventure. And they also sell Heather's Choice and um, uh, Peak Refuel. Those are all great companies. Don't tear your gut up with the stuff that you can just go buy at Walmart. Uh, that'll mess you up after you've been eating it for a couple of days. Definitely go check out alpenfuel.com and save some money. Get stocked up. Again, I work with amazing companies. I'm not going to bore you with all the details. Go check out the links down below. But I do want to recommend you get in on the 100th episode giveaway. Coming up on that fast. So to get in on that, go check out the YouTube channel, Redbeard Outdoors. Subscribe. And then follow wherever you're listening to this on the podcast. Follow, subscribe, whatever the button is on your preferred platform. And leave a review. Once you've done those three things, take a screenshot, send it to my email, redbeardoutdoors1 at gmail.com, and you'll get entered into that giveaway. Uh, any other questions you have, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at red.beard.outdoors. Go join me over at Redbeard's Fit Crew. That's another place where we've got an awesome community of, of like-minded individuals that love fitness, the outdoors, families, and whatever other endeavors they've got going on. Uh, yeah, that's about it, guys. Hope you guys are having an amazing Saturday. I just turned 30 yesterday, so uh, it's been awesome. And I'll be up shooting my bow at the Mountain Archery Fest. 
something that you guys should definitely check out as well. If you haven't, uh, between Mountain Archery Fest and all the things that they have up there, I'm super stoked to be up there this weekend with the First Form Outdoors crew. Uh, but yeah, without further ado, guys, I'm going to let you listen in on this awesome conversation I had with Gray Thornton of the Wild Sheep Foundation. And you might want to become a sheep hunter too by the end of this. Listen in. All right, everyone, I've got a special guest here by the name of Gray Gray Thornton, correct? Yeah, good okay. to uh, good to be with you, Jonathan. Appreciate and it. Gray is the CEO and the president of the Wild Sheep Foundation. He's also editor in chief of Wild Sheep, and uh, so I'm going to have a couple questions here for Gray. But before that, Gray, give us a little introduction. How'd you get into sheep hunting and being the president and CEO? Oh, it's a Interesting question. I, I actually grew up in California, in Montana now, but grew up in California and, and uh, went to college. Actually wanted to be a winemaker and um, in college decided maybe uh, maybe I'd rather uh, sip wine than make it. So I got into the business uh, school, got out of college in uh, 1983, went to work for Xerox Corporation. Uh, as a sales guy and then recruited over to Unisys, uh, which was then Burroughs. Um, but had a great interest in firearms, great interest in the outdoors, great interest in um, hunting and angling, um, but was a late onset hunter. But in any event, I, I got into uh, an organization called Safari Club International. And how I did that, which was odd, is I, as a 20-some-odd-year-old snot-nosed kid with a couple other great guys in Bakersfield, California, we founded an organization called Valley Coalition for Constitutional Rights. And we were actually more of a gun rights advocacy organization. Uh, I, joined, I joined Safari Club International. Uh, figured that, you know, maybe I could even do make a living out of this. And so in 1990, I left the for-profit world and went to SCI as a their first chapter development coordinator and uh, started building SCI and their chapters. Was later recruited over to an organization called Dallas Safari Club here in the great state of Texas. Uh, was their executive director for 11 years. And then after 18 years of the Safari Clubs wanted to focus a little bit more into just species conservation. And uh, there was an opportunity at Wild Sheep Foundation. So 2008, I joined them. That's awesome. That's quite the quite the adventure. And what does SCI, just for those listening, what does that stand for? Oh, uh, I'm sorry, S Safari Club International. Um, cool. So they are a hunting uh, and advocacy organization for for hunters. Their their motto is first for hunters. Um, Dallas Safari Club used to be a chapter of theirs, and then in the early '80s split apart. So. Um, with, with the term safari, you, you're probably rightful to think that it's African focused, um, and both were. So I spent a heck of a lot of time in Africa, Southern Africa in particular, um, working with the guide outfitters associations over there, uh, focusing on African wildlife conservation, sustainable use there, but kind of nice to get back into North America and and wild sheep is a is an interesting interesting cat if you look at conservation in North America um, you know you can look at the fantastic comeback that we've had uh, since the late 1800s early 1900s with the uh, the North American wildlife conservation model 
Uh, unfortunately, bighorn sheep in particular haven't been a part of that or, or had not been. Um, you, know, you look at the incredible comeback of elk, uh, white-tailed deer, turkey, um, not so much mule deer, but, you know, ducks, geese, you know, pronghorn, just been an incredible wildlife success story. Um, unfortunately, wild sheep didn't, didn't have that, and it's primarily because they didn't pay their way. There wasn't enough of them to begin with. Um, so Wild Sheep Foundation is an organization that, that focuses on the conservation, uh, restoration, uh, in particular of wild sheep in North America, but also uh, around the world. That's amazing. That's amazing. So I'm interested in this because I'm not quite a sheep hunter. Um, I, I see a lot of people that get into it. It seems like a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But I, I, I'm really interested in it because there are some amazing creatures. I've seen them on some cliffs that I wouldn't even want to hang off of, you know, like they just, these, these sheep are just amazing animals. But, um, why did you decide to focus more on that rather than go the direction of maybe elk or mule deer or anything else? Why sheep? Um, I'm a, you know, you're a, you're a super athletic guy. I'm, I'm at, at 60 years old. I'm not as athletic as I used to be, but I used to climb mountains, um, quite a bit. was, a, was an alpinist in the seventies and eighties. Uh, I, I restarted ice climbing in the late two thousands and I enjoy it, but I, that, that was my thing. Uh, I love the mountains and there's just something about a wild sheep, you know, the areas, uh, Jonathan, that they live. Uh, are some of the you know the highest the toughest the most extreme areas uh you know in in the world um and it's just something magical and and romantic to a certain degree and and quite frankly spiritual as well so uh and it was an organization that i'd been involved with on the periphery i'd, I'd participated in their conventions and some of their activities since the early 1990s and so um, it, it seemed like a natural fit for me, although I wasn't a sheep hunter. You know, I was, I was a, uh, as I, I mentioned before, I was a late onset hunter. Uh, I was blessed to have a fabulous mentor when I was working for uh, Xerox Corporation, you know, kind of take me under his wing. And um, so, you know, I never really dreamed I'd get into sheep hunting, but um, got into Wild Sheep Foundation first and then sheep hunting second. And... Um, you know, I love the species. I've been very, very blessed. I've been able to take all four North American wild sheep. Um, and the, the key to sheep hunting is, and we can talk about a little later on how do you, how the heck do you draw a permit or how do you win a hunt? Um, but what's so exciting or so in, intriguing about sheep hunting is the challenge. Um, incredible physical challenge. Um, but probably more so a mental challenge. You know, you've got to push yourself that, you know, that one step further. Um, and it quite frankly, you know, brought me back to my early mountaineering days and, um, you know, alpinist days of, you know, looking at a summit and saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to, you know, my lungs are burning. I'm at 14,000 feet. I got to make, you know, 20 more feet to get to that rock. Mm -hmm. And you set those little mini goals. 
and then you see the next rock or the next little ice bulge or whatever it is, you go, okay, I'm going to get to that. Um, and it's those, it's, you know, it's eating that elephant one bite at a time or climbing that mountain one pitch at a time, you know, it's just that, you know, setting a goal, achieving that goal. And I think that's, that's a huge part of, of sheep hunting. Um, and then which makes very good sheep conservationists because they have such a passion for the resource, passion for the areas that they live. No, that's that's crazy. You're definitely speaking my language. Right on. <laughs> the, the challenges. And that's why I, I love elk, right? And um, I'm just barely getting to my, my hunting journey. Um, I, I don't know if I'd be considered a late. I'm, I'm an adult onset yeah. hunter. Yeah, but, that's me. But yeah, exactly. And, and it's funny because I, I see a lot of people that really get passionate about it that are uh, adult onset hunters mm-hmm. because I feel like you peak. Like if you grow up hunting, most of the time you're going to fizzle out at one point. Um, but if you get into it as an adult, at least from what I've seen, uh, it seems like people stick around a lot longer because it was more their choice rather than the parents' choice. You know, and that's a and that's a great it's a great thought that you have. And I, you know, I I used to give speeches on the you know kind of the development of a hunter. And you know, there's kind of you know there's, there's the shooter stage and the you know all the different stages. Um, I think the adult onset hunter is is the one that quickly goes through those stages and, and is if not immediately very quickly in the give back stage you know there's something about you know you're a mature man or woman um you know you've had experiences in life and if you have something that you're passionate about and you look at what you're doing with your podcast is you're sharing that passion with others um and and trying to give back and so um yeah I, you know i interesting segue to the adult onset but i i i see that and and pulling it back to sheep, um, I've seen in my 32 years professionally in, in the hunting and conservation business, I have, uh, I've seen more passion in sheep hunters um, and sheep conservationists for the resource than, than really any other thing. And what's, what's crazy about sheep is because there's so few, uh, because they're either, ex- you know, you either got to be, uh, you know, have some deep pockets or be very lucky. Um, and we can talk about how you can get lucky. Um, there are a bunch of sheep advocates out there, wild sheep advocates that have not or never hunted a sheep and may never hunt a sheep. So yeah. really kind of a fascinating, uh, fascinating critter. Yeah. No, definitely. They, and again, they, it, it does. I think that's what turned a lot of people off is that it takes uh, deep pockets or getting lucky. And they kind of like, oh, you know, I'm going to lo- go for the low hanging fruit and then stick with that. Right. Um, but I can also see why that would create more more of a passionate almost following of of sheep and, and people that want to do sheep hunting because it does take a lot more dedication. And you wait years and years and years to draw or you're saving for years to get that tag um, or you get lucky. Yeah. Right. But. And, and, you know, and, and it's it's interesting, you know, we, we've got an organization or a club within the foundation we call the Lesson One Club. Mm-hmm. And we started that in 2012 and then kicked it off at the convention in Reno, our Wild Sheep Foundation Sheep uh, Show Convention in 2013. And the idea was, you know, there's all sorts of, um, you know, recognition programs for, for sheep hunters. And, you know, there's the there's the what's called the Grand Slam. We call it the FNAS. Um, and there was a couple of young guys uh, 
that after our show, we're saying, you know, how about how about something for those of us that have no sheep or, you know, there's, there's the one more for four. There's the two more to go. There's the, how about, how about those of us that have less than one? And it was my graphic designer, his brother, and a couple of buddies, industry guys, and, and, and our, uh, our exhibits manager. And they were, they were sitting, uh, sitting late night talking about it. And he came back, and he's clever as all heck, and a fabulous, fabulous logo designer. And I said, Justin, you develop a logo for this thing, and I'll build a program around it. And so bottom line, that kicked off the Less Than One Club. And the idea is you can join this club. It's a kind of a cool, you know, cool logo. It's got the, the less than sign and one and then club underneath it. Very simple. Um, but then I started saying, you know, this is the only club that you want to join and then get kicked out of. Because when you take a Wild Sheep Ram, you're kicked out of the Less Than One Club. So what we do, Jonathan, is we you can you can join this you got to be a member of the wild sheep foundation then you join the lesson one club i think it's 25 bucks you get a cool t-shirt and then we do a reception in reno uh, every year and we give away sheep hunts to people that have not yet taken a wild sheep ram and it started out as a hey you could only you know you could only attend the reception if you're in the lesson one club what we found, and this gets back to the altruism of the wild sheep family, as I like to call it, but there were so many men and women that love seeing the excitement of that aspiration, you know, aspirational woman or man or young gal, young guy, or older guy, older gal who hadn't yet taken a wild sheep ram and wanted it. And the, the excitement in that room, the enthusiasm, and, you know, the, the absolute hoots and hollers when we would draw the winner of one of these hunts was incredible. So we opened it up to anyone. Uh, we now have 1,500 people that come to this about an hour and a half, two-hour reception on Friday afternoon in Reno during our convention. And, I mean, it is electric. Um, we typically give away three doll sheep hunts. Uh, this year is going to be pretty exciting or the 2023 show. We're going to give away three doll sheep hunts, a desert bighorn sheep hunt, and we're going to kick off something new. We're going to call less than one club V and that'll be for veterans. So it'll be for, for veterans, also first responders, but going to be pretty, pretty cool program. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a, uh, is a partner of ours, and uh, they're going to uh, fully sponsor the hunt. They've fully sponsored one for 2022, just one of our less, uh, regular less than one club. So, yeah, pretty neat program. But it gets to that aspirational, you know, guy or gal that, you know, that wants to get in the mountains, and uh, so just, just one of the programs that Wild Sheep Foundation does, but to try to, uh, try to help people uh, get on the mountain and get into sheep hunting. That's awesome. So I'm assuming that's one of the lucky ways that you can get. That's one of the lucky ways. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's interesting. You know, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're into elk hunting. Um, there are high mountain mule deer hunts. There are goat hunts. You can go on a sheep hunt without a sheep tag you know you can you can you know somebody that draws so it's it's interesting because they're solely you know so highly coveted um you know i've been i think i i've, I've taken one desert bighorn sheep but i've been on five desert bighorn sheep hunts because i'll go with somebody else mm -hmm. 
And and it and it, it Jonathan, this kind of brings you know to that give back stage. I mean, I get just as much fired up of mule deer hunting with my wife or, you know, going with a buddy and he's the hunter than, than me. Um, you know, you and I were chatting about a hunt that, you, you know, elk hunt that you were on in Utah with your, with your friend and, and you didn't have the tag. He did, mm-hmm. but how cool, you know, you're hunting. You have maybe a little bit pressure on you. Yeah. Uh, I find that I'm, you know, which is weird. I don't know why it is. I find I hunt harder. Mm. You know, there's there's something about, and it's not that I'm a guide. You know, I'm not, but I I almost put more time on the glass. Um, you know, I'm, I'm willing to go that extra ridge or climb that extra thousand feet when I'm with a buddy because, or, or you know, or my wife because, you know, I want them to succeed. Mm-hmm. So anyway, those are those are ways you can get into sheep hunting. Um, Another way is, you know, there's all these application services out there, Hunting Fool, Epic Outdoors, uh, Ultimus has one, um, WT, I mean, a bunch of great, great organizations. Uh, Onyx, um, Go Hunt, you know, is getting into the business too. But it's interesting. If you look at the interest in sheep hunting, uh, it is growing uh, because it's an aspirational species. Um, your chances are about less than 1% of drawing a tag. Um, you know, states, provinces, tribes are, are changing the way they do business. You know, there's bonus points, there's preference points. Uh, won't get into that mathematics. But the, the truth of the matter is, is unless you were in this game about 25, 30 years ago, those, those points are soon not going to really mean anything. So states are kind of reevaluating, going in, you know, more into a random draw. Um, I'm not really a lucky guy, you know, and I don't gamble, mm-hmm. uh, but I do participate in raffles. So I guess that's my gambling addiction. Um, you know, I have absolutely no interest in throwing money on a table and watching it go away. I work too hard for it, but boy, I'll give to an organization that is raffling off a sheep hunt or an elk hunt or a, you know, a, a mountain goat hunt or a, you know, a mule deer hunt. I'll give to that organization because I know that, number one, my money's going to something that I'm passionate about, you know, not building a casino. Mm-hmm. Um, but frankly, I've got better odds. And so take a look at that. You know, you can, you can jump on the internet right now and there are more sheep raffles going um, there are raffles within the states. Uh, there's raffles in the in in provinces. Um, so you know, take a look at that. I I sat in on Hunting Fools seminar. It was at our mid Midwest chapter, and they're brilliant guys. Oh yeah, they know this stuff. You know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, sitting in on, on their seminar and I was learning a lot, but, you know, they were really honest and they're saying, hey, look, um, you know, you got about a 1% chance, you know, you're giving to wildlife conservation if you're participating in these, in these programs and draws, but once you've set up a budget and it was a great idea, you know, set up a budget, um, you know, pick which states you want to apply in. Um, but then also pick the states and raffles that you want to contribute to from a raffle program. And then kind of one of the clever, you know, but it's just, it's just smart. Invest in the freaking stock market Mm -hmm. because, you know, if it's going to take you 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years to draw a tag, 
Well, you know what? Look at your budget, get with your spouse, and set up a plan and start saving. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can buy a sheep hunt. And so, anyway, those you know those are the ways to get into it. Yeah, yeah. And on top of the the tag, you got the gear and everything else you're going to need to get up those mountains. Right? Well, and that's that's <laughs> that's part of the cool thing. You yeah. know, we're all gear junkies, oh, yeah. so you know, yeah. it's kind of like a rifle. You know, uh, do you want one or is it a need? Well, of course, it's a need. <laughs> Depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> <laughs> you're telling your wife you need it, right? <laughs> right. You know, it's like that, like fly rod. Yeah, I've exactly. got twenty, but of course, I need another because yeah, I don't have like half that an one. ounce lighter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's you awesome. know, and that's that's not it. That's a cool thing too you look at the gear that's there now mm-hmm. um and so much of the you know the clothing lines that are out there you know where, where you know whether it's sitka gear or or first light or kuyu or you know cryptic um uh or kings and their you know some of their new lines um you know all that was originated for you know that that hardcore mountain and quite frankly originally sheep hunter Mm -hmm. and but it's it's you know it's you know kind of trickled down into um geez you know there's camo wars right now i mean it's it's almost crazy you're almost identified by what you know what what brand you you wear i've got a buddy and he and i are kind of chuckling going you know there are probably more sheep killed in cowboy boots, jeans, and a Woolrich shirt. Yep. And so, yeah, yep. we're gonna we're starting to you know let's let's kick off cowboy camo. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I know uh, Origin is coming out with some as well. I don't know if you've seen their stuff, but they're a company out of Maine and they do all U.S. made manufactured. Oh, stuff. right on. So yes. I think they're going to be the first company that is all U.S. made manufactured. Very cool. Um, but yeah, that that would be interesting to have a cowboy yeah. camera. Let's go back, <laughs> you know, years, years back. I won't yeah. tell you the brand, but, you know, they were I think they were having their 10 year anniversary. And I said, tell you what, I got a design for you, <laughs> you know, take your technical pant but make it in a denim pattern <laughs> and then take your technical shirt or jacket and make it in a Buffalo pat plaid. Mm-hmm. And that be your 10 year anniversary pattern. <laughs> and I think it would be killer. You know, you have the, you know, you have the technical, you know, right. um, uh, textile, but you have the look that, you know, Hey, look, we all know that, you know, freaking camo sells hunters. It doesn't fool an animal. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, you sit into one of those seminars on, you know, what animals really see and you go, Oh, I get it. Yeah. It's really selling us. And that's cool. You know, yeah. that's cool. I've got my favorite. <laughs> yep. Exactly. It makes, you know, it makes me feel good anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Cool, man. Well, uh, you know, that, that's some good information. I think a lot of people should, should know. And, and you mentioned hunting fool. Um, I've listened to their, information twice at elk shaped camps yeah and uh jared does an amazing job of breaking that stuff down uh just all the different draws the different you know points that you want to do and i love the companies like what you brought up that genuinely say go speak with your spouse it's an investment it's a lot of money takes money and time and uh and then on top of that if you're on a sheep hunt you know if you go wherever it is that you're going you're traveling away from the family you're taking time from the family and so um it's definitely a good good uh, thing to communicate with your spouse, but that's that's awesome. Those are all really good pointers, and I appreciate that. You're um you're kind of drawing me in right now, where I actually might want to go into. I always told my buddy, I'm like, I don't know if I'm ever going to do a sheep hunt. It just it's one of those things where it's kind of like always out of reach, 
you know, um, but you're making it sound a lot easier to, to do. So we, we might have to do that. Um, I, I did want to ask you a couple questions here sure. as far as sheep are concerned. Um, I had someone ask me, what are, how are the overall sheep numbers looking? Because you mentioned how they're not exploding like some of the other species. Yeah, great, great question. Um, you know, let's take a step back. You know, I, as I was, I was chatting earlier, uh, you know, I said that they didn't pay their way. When Lewis and Clark made their way west, um, estimated that there was one to two million bighorn sheep on the North American continent. So, you know, right there we're talking Canada, U.S., Mexico. Um, I don't know if there are two million, but, you know, let's let's take the lower uh, of the estimates, one million. Um, by the 1960s, 70s, there were 25,000 bighorn sheep in Mexico, U.S., Canada. They'd been decimated. Um, and, pri- you know, they, they taste good. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were, you know, there was certainly overhunting. But the big issue with wild sheep is disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a biologist that works for me, Kevin Hurley. He's uh, 35 years uh, wildlife biologist. Now he's, you know, he's been working for the Wild Sheep Foundation for eight. Uh, and he says, you know, bighorn sheep are funny. They're born looking for a place to die. Mm-hmm. The craziest thing, Jonathan, you look at an animal that can live on the highest mountains in some of the rushes, you know, or harshest climates, um, but they are very weak uh, respiratory-wise. And mm-hmm. there is a pathogen called Mycoplasma ovipneumoniae, or MOV, uh, that, that acts kind of like a setup agent for them. And in their trachea, if they have MOV, and, you know, we've just lived through two years of a pandemic mm-hmm. uh, and this social distancing and, you know, and, you know, let's not cough on each other or whatever. Right. Well, oddly enough, wild sheep live in that environment constantly. Um, as, as we were populating the West, we brought in domestic sock, domestic sheep, domestic goats. We brought them into wild sheep range because that was good groceries, good, good grass to, to, um, to graze on. And back then we just didn't know the issue. And we didn't know that there was something that domestic sheep and goats have that they can live with that wild sheep are naive to, you know, kind of like, you know, the Europeans bringing smallpox to Native Americans. Um, You know, we had some antibodies. We had some ability to live with it. Native Americans did not. So anyway, as we brought domestic sheep into wild sheep range, we decimated wild sheep. Um, and, you know, brought those numbers down to their, their 19, late 1960s, 1970s low. Um, organizations like Wild Sheep Foundation, our chapters and our affiliates, what we've been doing since the, you know, mid, mid-1970s is bringing them back. We've been doing that by taking surplus ewes and rams out of populations and putting them back into areas where they can uh, repatriate the, you know, the, the habitat and grow. We've increased sheep, bighorn sheep, about threefold. Um, 25,000 to 85,000. Um, but you know, you, so that's, that's great, but it's nowhere near the million high. Uh, then you have thin horns, you know, I was talking about bighorn sheep and desert bighorn sheep. You've got thin horn sheep with their dolls and stone sheep. Um, they too have, you know, they, they haven't had the challenges 
as much as bighorn sheep with domestic stock. Um, but um, changing climate right now is plain hell on doll sheep, uh, particularly up in Alaska. Um, you know, just impact from human encroachment uh, into stone sheep range is, is causing a challenge. Um, you know, the interest in sheep hunting, honestly. You know, so, um, look, you know, uh, we all get it. Um, you know, without hunter conservationists, you're not going to have wildlife because, you know, the old adage, if it, if it pays, it stays, you mm-hmm. know, overused, but it's, it's true. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm one that says let's get more sheep hunters that become more sheep conservationists, become more sheep, you know, advocates, raise more money for the, uh, the resource. But, you know, they're, they're, bighorn sheep are doing okay. They're doing great in some places. Nevada has had an unbelievable comeback. Utah has done exceptionally well. Uh, Utah is now going to transplant, you know, Utah has been the beneficiary of desert bighorn sheep mm-hmm. from Nevada. Okay. Um, desert, uh, Utah is now going to be transferring some desert sheep into Arizona. So there's been, it's kind of funny, you know, we've got these maps from the Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies of the sheep transfers, Mm -hmm. you know, of trapping from here and moving to their trading. I mean, there's unbelievable stories. It almost looks like a, you know, a Southwest Airline flight map, (laughs) um, which, you know, which has been great, but also caused some problem because as we, as we learned, um, you know, at some point we were actually transplanting sheep that had some of these pathogens in them and were the typhoid marys. So they became the vector, not the domestic sheep. So challenging, um, you know, elk, mule deer dealing and white tailed deer dealing with CWD. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of a hot issue. Um, in the wild sheep world, we've been dealing with pasturella and, uh, Manheimia, hemolytica, and mycoplasma, all, you know, ova pneumonia, all this alphabet soup that, um, you know, propeller heads much smarter than I know more about. Um, but it's, you know, it's just a reality. So uh, a challenge, um, but something that organizations like the Wild Sheep Foundation, our chapters and affiliates are up to the task. We raise money, we put it back into the the agencies to, to help them research, do trap and transplants, habitat improvement. Um, water's a big thing in the desert. You know, we put water projects out there and they bring back desert bighorn sheep, but also other wildlife. That's awesome. And that's amazing. So I'm really glad to hear that they're growing. It sucks that they're not, you know, where they were. Um, and that's crazy to think that someone or something that lives at such a high elevation, uh, some crazy terrain has lung issues. Yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah. interesting to think. I wonder, maybe their lungs get overused. I don't yeah, know. Who like, knows? Yeah, yeah that's just... that's crazy. Um, so with with the numbers growing, and you're saying the interest is growing, obviously, because uh, the number's growing, there's going to be more opportunity, or um, is it still kind of that low opportunity not really growing in the near future for hunters? Um, I, uh, you know, honestly, I think the, the demand is outgrowing supply. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what does that mean? Well... Let's let's not fight over the slices. Let's build a bigger pie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's look at new areas where we can, or or you know, past uh, ranges that have have you know have had bighorn sheep, and let's let's repatriate those. Uh, let's all come together and have the same kind of incredible success that we had with elk uh, and pronghorn and ducks and geese. 
uh, you know, let's let's work together to go. You know what? This is an iconic resource. Um, you know, it's an aspirational resource. It's also somewhat of a canary in the coal mine. If wild sheep are doing well, typically other species are as well. So it's all about habitat. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some areas, it's about water. Um, but you know, let's let's look at this resource as something that we need to make sure stays on the landscape, grows, and so you know, our children and grandchildren will have the opportunity to hunt them if they want mm-hmm. to, view them if they don't. Yeah, no, for sure. So I had someone ask me, uh, a buddy of mine, was wanting to know if um, you know the sheep die-off that we hear about in the mm-hmm. news. Are they really as bad as they come across in the news, or is it a little over exaggerated? And one particularly being close to home, Stansbury Island, yeah, um, that recently happened. They are as bad as they okay. they say. You know, when you have an all age die off, um, you know, it, it is exactly that. It is it is lambs, ewes, mm-hmm. rams of all ages, wow. um, and what we. We see, and this is this is the challenge with this mycoplasma ova pneumonia, is even if those that that are are challenged by it get you know respiratory issues and pneumonia, tip over and die, um, that pathogen can stay within the population uh, for ten, maybe even twenty years. So wow. then you have seriously low lamb recruitment. Um, and so, you know, you just have these struggling populations. Um, you know, connectivity is kind of an interesting thing. It's a double-edged sword. And, and you know, we, we think of wildlife corridors. Well, in some ways, wild sheep have been insulated from each other and their pathogens because of their low numbers. Sometimes, and in some places, our efforts to... You know, hey, let's, uh, we've got a, you know, we've got a population right here, and then there's a population that's 30 miles away, and then we put a, you know, we build a population 15 miles away from both of them. Now we've got connectivity. If we're not careful, and we're not bringing in nice, healthy sheep, or if population A and, you know, population C are fine, and we introduce population B, but then population A can go to B, and then B goes to C, it can transfer this pathogen. So it's, a, it's complicated, it's challenging, it's frustrating as all get out, um, because, you know, you think you're doing the right thing, and sometimes you can be doing the wrong thing. But... You know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm an optimist. Um, you know, the, the good thing about wildlife is if we give them a chance to, to, to regroup mm-hmm. uh, and renew, they will. Yeah. Uh, the challenge is, it's, it's not an overnight thing. You know, it's a five, ten year process. Yeah, and that's, that's really frustrating. I can, I can imagine that being a pretty difficult. You know, having to, because you have to test all the sheep, make sure they're healthy before you introduce them. Because you don't want to bring one sheep that's got the pathogen and just decimates, you know, everything that that you've worked hard for, um, and that they've worked hard for, you know, as the animals. And when you mention pathogens, um, this isn't something that they can grow immune to. Eventually, it's just something that that just happens. Boy, um, you know, in, interesting, <laughs> interesting question, and and a great one. 
Uh, Wild Sheep Foundation has spent millions of dollars on research at Washington State University in particular. We, we endow uh, what's called the Rocky Crate Chair. There was a, a, a wildlife vet named Rocky Crate that was a member of Wild Sheep Foundation and left, left some money, kind of initiated this, this uh, chairmanship uh, in their vet school. Um, and it has been the, um, the blue chip place to study this disease or this, this pathogen or th the various pathogens that cause, uh, cause respiratory problems in big or cheap. Um, we have looked into vaccines. You know, the, the, the challenge with that is who do you vaccinate? Mm -hmm. um, the wild sheep? Well, I think quite frankly, there's even ethical issues there. And, you know, shouldn't we be looking at the domestic sheep industry. Um, and there's some great news on that front. Uh, through some grants from USDA, uh, the domestic sheep industry, which, which Wild Sheep Foundation, you know, can sometimes be at odds with, um, but we'd rather be partners with uh, to work towards a solution. Uh, through USDA, there's, there's some pretty exciting research being done on you know, can we can we create emovi-free flocks of domestic sheep? Because we certainly vaccinate and handle them. Yeah. And and you know, from an ethical standpoint, as a conservationist, I'm all I'm all for that. You know, mm -hmm. but let's also be realistic. You know, yeah. as I said earlier, wild sheep can be the carrier too. They mm -hmm. can be the vector. So you know, we could we could work very hard to ensure that we have an emovi-free domestic sheep flock and then some wayfaring ram or you know you from a wild sheep herd comes in mm. and then you know now you have the exact opposite so um you know there's there's some interesting studies going on there there's some incredible research that has been done uh, by a a biologist up in idaho dr francis Cassier. And she hypothesized that, you know what, maybe there are these typhoid Mary types. Hmm. And as she would call them, super shedders. Okay. And in Hell's Canyon, which is, is kind of the fishbowl of research for wild sheep, uh, she hypothesized that, you know, it appears that you have some ewes that are not dying, from emovi um, uh, or, or other pathogens, they seem to have it, and they shred. It. You know, they're they're the sh they're the super shredder or shedders, um, and so she started a program called Test and Remove, and so she can identify um, these these carriers, um, typically darts them, tests them, radio collars them. If they come back positive for MOV, she can go back, find them, take them out of the herd. Uh, incredibly, in, in Hell's Canyon, and we've been involved in that for 20 some odd years now, um, and there's been, you know, there was an estimated five to 10,000 bighorn sheep in Hell's Canyon, dropped down to 900, and basically has stayed stagnant at 900. Um, she has now, after her research and after implementing and executing on this test and remove, uh, she now declares Hell's Canyon emovi free. Hmm. There's no domestic sheep in it, and the wild sheep population in there are completely healthy. So now starting to do that in the Salmon River uh, okay. uh, canyons uh, in Idaho, 
Um, and so there's, you know, so there's some exciting things every, you know, every year we learn something new. Uh, you know, every other year there's another setback, but you know what, again, as, as an optimist, you know, we refuse to give up. Uh, we refuse to give in. We're going to make sure that there's sheep on the mountain for us to enjoy. So, you know, there's some, there's some exciting things down, down the road. And again, with the domestic industry starting to take an interest in this as well, um, they're realizing that, you know, MOV positive domestic sheep have about a 10 to 15 percent less weight. Hmm. Well, weight is money. Mm-hmm. So using market forces, I'm a capitalist. Let's use market forces to incentivize domestic sheep producers to, you know, to be, you know, on the cutting edge of this as well. And they're right. beginning to. That's awesome. Wow, that's that's a rabbit hole. I'd, I could go down for days. I love I love animals. I grew up around, you know, always having pets and, and animals. And, I, you know, the the thing is that I can't imagine spending my entire career working on something like that but at the same time i think it's pretty cool that i i can't remember her name but the lady you were saying that's working yeah, on there. francis kassir 30 yeah. some odd years studying this this issue wow and and stops and starts and you know you, you talk about rabbit holes boy you know we and she and and there's a uh, kind of her uh, her mentors uh, dr tom besser and, you know, he's the one that identified this mycoplasma ova pneumonia as being this primary pathogen. Hmm. And, and, and I mentioned earlier, it's a setup agent. What it does is when they get it or they're exposed to it, it lays down the cilia in their trachea. Mm. Uh, you know, the wow. cilia is that, is the, you know, those little fibrous hairs or whatever yeah. that we use to cough up things. Mm-hmm. You know, again, looking back at the pandemic, you know, um, you know, you, you know, it, it, you, you, it compromised our system, you know, mm-hmm. the COVID compromised or, or, you know, coronavirus compromised our system. And then other things could kill you, you know, right. pneumonia or whatever. That's just the exact same thing that happens to, to wild sheep is hmm. they can be MOV positive. They, it lays down the, the, the cilia, other, other, uh, bugs or pathogens come in, uh, create a mnemonic response. You see these little lambs coughing constantly. They can't mm. catch their breath. They're living in an area that they need to have yeah. a good breath. Um, and they tip over and die. So, you know, tragic. But again, with, yeah. with um, you know, with good science, uh, good research, and organizations like Wild Sheep Foundation raising the money to put into that research, um, you know, I think there's a bright future. Oh, for sure. That's awesome. That, that's really cool that you guys are working on it. It's one of those, it seems like um, almost low return on investment, like as far as uh, it'd be more like a long game. Like this yeah. isn't something that you guys see happen overnight. You know, you were just saying 30 plus years of her work to get one canyon right. of 900 sheep uh, MOV free. Like that's that's crazy. Yeah, you know. But at the is. same time, that's awesome that she's willing to dedicate that. And I think a lot of people need to see that because – you know, conservation goes hand in hand with hunting. You know, hunters aren't out there just to kill things, right? Um, I know when I don't have a tag, I love it. Just like you were saying, going out with my buddies that do. And I think they just bring me along because I'm the pack mule. But, you know, <laughs> I enjoy the trip as much as they do. And, uh, you know, it's just an amazing experience to go out. And I- I'd love to go out and-, and look at wild sheep a little bit more. And um, I ran a cup- uh, across a couple deadheads when I was out in the southwest desert. Mm. Um, looking for elk uh, a couple years ago 
and um they're i mean the horns on them are massive yeah you know it's cool to 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 see them uh but i haven't seen any i'm trying to think if i've seen any live um i don't think i have you know it's cool to watch the the rams go after it you know knocking heads i don't know how they you know they they hit each other harder than than football players and uh does it i, I do want to ask do, does it stun them when they hit heads is that they, why they stand there for a minute they, or they, they, they certainly out? can and okay. they can they can you know they can get their their noggins knocked too and yeah. they've got a you know somewhat of a cushiony you know part of their skull but mm -hmm. you bet they do yeah. you know and i i don't know if you see there's there's a um a, a video out that i just saw the other day you know on the on the the internet and and a, literally a ram got knocked out oh, man. i mean just pounded and just hit it the right way and yeah. it just tipped over and knocked out so. what's the do you know the force behind you know i don't yeah i don't jonathan but i can tell you i've experienced it oh and okay. um this biologist i was telling you about kevin hurley and i were moving some uh, bighorn sheep from a research facility in colorado to that research facility in, at washington state university uh the rocky crate and you know these were these were sheep that had uh, it been exposed to MOV, other pathogens. So, you know, they were, they were just research sheep. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they, they, sadly they were on death row. Yeah. Um, but we, we did a bonsai run, um, you know, nonstop from Colorado to Pullman, Washington. And we got to the release facility and it's a double decker horse trailer. Mm -hmm. and it's got it's got straw and hay and you know so these these sheep and i think we had 15 or 20 of these these sheep and there was a little ram on the upper deck that was not going to jump out of this trailer into this holding <laughs> pen and i thought well you know I'll, I'll show these researchers that you know big bad ceo of wild sheep foundation can go <laughs> sort out this little tiny ram jonathan i i got up into the top section and just put my hand in there and that ram it, you know it, it's kind of like bruce lee mm -hmm. and where you know he purportedly could an inch away from your chest hit you and knock you over mm -hmm. i tell you what i think that ram was only two three inches away from me and it just did a quick little headbutt mm. i mean my hand was sore for months oh, so yeah they've got i don't know what it is i mean we could we could google it and figure out what right. the heck the force is but pretty darn significant not something that you and i are going to do yeah they need to study the sheep so that they can get rid of the football <laughs> issues yeah right? there you go <laughs> whatever yeah. they have built into their heads right they there need to put go. that in the helmets um yeah it's pretty stunning to to watch the videos right and again i i you know you're making me want to go out and chase them now so. well you know you live in a great state mm -hmm. uh utah's done exceptionally well uh we've got the utah chapter of the wild sheep foundation great group of people um you know you got you got mule deer uh, foundation right there headquartered in salt lake you got sportsman for fish and wildlife you know everyone's been working together to do uh, a great job in bringing utah resources back and you know you've got friends in the industry what i would do is is uh you know start checking around and find somebody that's got a sheep tag and say hey i'll come i'll be a, a set of eyes for you and mm -hmm. you know you're a you know you're a healthy guy you can also be the pack mule too yeah. so why <laughs> yeah, not exactly. you know why not go on you know go on some sheep hunts mm -hmm. and and you can just put your ears to the ground find and everyone's looking for another set of eyes everyone's looking for a strong back right so uh you know again you may not have a tag but you know go go experience it and yeah. Put into the draws, you know, put into a few of these, but man, focus on those raffles and yeah. join the Lesson One Club. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I, I do want to ask, um, 
just a couple of questions a little off of the sheep subject. Sure. actually no before we go off the sheep subject i want to ask about your you you've got the four the grand slam or what did you call yeah. it what was the other we call it the finaz okay. uh, grand slam is a is a trademark of grand slam club so we respect that mm-hmm. um but uh, we call it finaz which is four north american wild sheep but okay. if cool. you register it with grand slam it's then a call to grand slam yeah so Cool. So tell me about that. I didn't even realize that there were four different uh, sheep. Yeah. So in North America, and and um, we've got bighorn that I was talking about and thinhorn. So a bighorn sheep, uh, that's the Rocky Mountain bighorn and the desert bighorn. Um, now there's some subspecies off that. There's the California Bighorn, which is a Rocky Mountain bighorn, but originated, you know, not in California, by the way, but in British Columbia, uh, a slightly smaller subspecies of bighorn. Uh, of the desert bighorn, there's a whole bunch of subspecies from that. But, you know, basically you got Rocky Mountain bighorn, desert bighorn, and then you have doll sheep and stone sheep. Uh, so let's go top to bottom. Doll sheep are the white sheep. Um, uh, Alaska and Alaska's got 25% of all wild sheep in North America, uh, but have had some problems this last couple of years due to the winters. But so the white sheep are, are the doll sheep, Alaska, Yukon, Northwest Territories, and a little slice of Northwest British Columbia. Um, stone sheep are in British Columbia primarily. Actually, current science says only in British Columbia. Uh, there is something called a Fannin sheep, mm-hmm. uh, which is up in the Yukon and basically a, a dark paleage dolls or maybe a cross between a stones and a dolls. Um, so British Columbia has the stones. You know, we talked about the dolls. Those are the thin horn. British Columbia in the southern part also has bighorn sheep. They've got Rocky Mountain Bighorn, California Bighorn. Alberta has Rocky Mountain Bighorn. And then as you come into the states, um, you know, we have Rocky Mountain Bighorn down through and California Bighorn that have been repatriated from British Columbia down through the uh, southwest. So in um, southern Utah, uh, southern Colorado, um, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. Mm-hmm. You have the desert bighorn sheep. Um, Mexico, um, you have the western states of Mexico. You've got Baja, Baja uh, California Norte, Baja California Sur, uh, Sonora, Coahuila, Chihuahua uh, have desert bighorn sheep. Yeah. And that's where you got your desert bighorn Yes, bighorn I got my desert in, in actually the state of Coahuila. Yeah. That's awesome. So, and Mexico's had a, a an ex, you know exceptional success in uh, bringing back desert bighorn sheep. Um, uh, you know, and it's it's an interesting model in in Mexico. Uh, Mexico, uh, they're privatized mm. for the most part. Okay. Um, it's whether it's either a landowner or an ajito. Um, you know, those sheep theoretically are owned. You know, either owned by that. Uh, landowner or owned by the ajito and uh, not necessarily like we consider it in U.S. and Canada is owned by the public so uh, they can buy sheep and they can sell sheep Hmm. and they can buy and sell live sheep and they've done an exceptional job in bringing desert bighorn sheep back again using market forces yeah 
That's awesome. Cool. Out of the four that you've gotten, what was your favorite hunt? The, um, the stones. Yeah, the stones. Yeah, the stones from just the location. The the most uh, difficult, and this is uh, another little tidbit. The most difficult was the Rocky Mountain Bighorn. Really. And I took it in Montana mm-hmm. in a unlimited unit. Okay. And I didn't mention that, Jonathan, and shame on me. <laughs> Montana has, um, eh, it depends on the year, but three to five units mm-hmm. that are called unlimited units. Unlimited number of tags, limited wow. harvest. Okay. So you want to hunt bighorn sheep? You can, over the counter, as a non-resident or a resident, hmm. in an unlimited area in Montana. Now... Success rate is about 2%, Um, but you can do it. So you can apply uh, for these unlimited areas. You can right now, I mean, you can just buy the tag. It's for a resident, it's $125. I think for a non-resident right now, it's it's either $1,250 or $1,750. When I took my RAM, I was a Wyoming resident. I lived in Cody. That's where the Wild Sheep Foundation headquarters were. Uh, an unlimited tag was 750 bucks. I lived about two and a half, three hours from the trailhead. Um, we found a bighorn sheep on winter range. Um, interesting and long story on it. On January 1st, a bunch of, bunch of sheep down on a mine. And I told a friend about it. She said, oh, I know that one. That's old Chiphorn. I'll, I'll take a better picture. You know, I'm a better photographer than you. And she certainly was. And she and her <laughs> husband went out there. Nine days later, they took a picture of this ram. Beautiful, full curl. Had three big chips on its, on its horn. Uh, she sent that picture to me. And Jonathan, I put it on my MacBook laptop mm. desktop yep. and named it My Ram. Yep. By the grace of God... A heck of a lot of luck, but I'm going to tell you, by the grace of God, and I'm a spiritual man, a good friend of mine and one of my employees hiked in. We hiked in about 15 miles and then hiked in another five miles, set up a spike camp. Uh, But we ended up finding that ram and two others 30 air miles nine months later from where we saw it on January 1st, and I shot that ram. Uh, unbelievable experience. We had to bivouac out with that ram, pouring rain, you know, big smile on her face, colder than you know what, big fire, eating, you know, eating, eating sheep, miserable and happy. Um, <laughs> it took another half a day to get down to a trail, uh, four hours to get down to base camp. Then mm-hmm. we jumped on two horses that we had, we had hauled the horses in or walked the horses in, got back up to the meet, got back down to base camp, wow. got back out. You have 48 hours once you've killed one of those rams to declare it mm-hmm. and bring it to either a conservation officer or a biologist. We made it to Red Lodge in 46 hours. Oof. So two hours to spare. So um, unbelievable situation uh unbelievable hunt um you know yeah my stone sheep was you know the kind of the coolest just but that story of the unlimited ram is probably uh, uh the most impactful just because you know here's an opportunity that if you want to have a sheep tag in your pocket you can mm-hmm. non-resident or resident 
you can, and you can go sheep hunting. Uh, the caveat there is that 48 hours, that season can close. So you can, you know, from Utah, you could go, you know what? I'm going to get a, you know, I'm going to now that the application period was, you know, March 31st or April 1st. So you're out this year. But this this year you could go, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go sheep hunting in one of the unlimited units and you could buy that tag and you could go hunting. Your challenges, you need to check in. Um, you know, either use your, your inReach or a sat phone. There is an AM radio station that every night you can check in and Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks will announce, you know, unit 500, one, one Ram. Mm. Well, and it's, you know, say it's a quota of two, you know, theoretically you can still be hunting, but when they close it, you got 48 hours to get out of there. Mm. Interesting how that works. It's kind of like a, you know, they, they use the same quota system on black bear in some areas on mm. mountain lion in some areas. Um, you know, interesting enough, um, you know, maybe the quota is two, um, but there can be more rams taken legally yeah. because you're within that 48-hour window. Okay. Uh, I think two years ago, I think six rams were taken out of the uh, Unit 500. So, um, you know, it, 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 can be, it can be done. Now, obviously, their goal is to just take two. But, right. again, within that window, um, you're good to go. That's that's good. So a real cool thing. I mean, that's an opportunity. Obviously, you know, as as U.S. citizens, we can run up to Alaska. uh, But as non-residents, I think it's now once every three years um, and and harvest a ram. But in in uh, in Montana, you can go take a ram. Got to be lucky and got to have God on your side. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, and then, you know, interesting enough, you know, uh, you know, I mentioned three years up in Alaska in in Montana. I took that ram in 2014. I'm out of the game for seven years. So last year I could apply again. This year I went ahead and I'm I'm going to have a tag. Will I hunt? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, And then honestly, even if I hunt, will I shoot another? I don't know. If I saw another, I don't know. Yeah. You know that was a 13 and a half year old ram. Right. That's Um, crazy. You know, I've been blessed. Maybe I just, you know, what I would love to do is find another legal ram. A legal ram is a three-quarter curl in that in those areas in Montana. Uh, I'd love to get on a ram and then back away from it and go, nah, stay on the mountain. Yep. You know, that to me, that would be cool, you know, to, awesome. to, to be able to do it and go, yep, I beat the odds. Two percent. I found another legal ram, but you know I've taken one. That's enough. Yep, that's that's amazing, and you know that's that's a great point of view to have because you know with such a, a finite resource as sheep, um, that's a good mentality. You know, you're not out there trying to harvest like white-tailed does or anything like that, right? This right. is something that's that you've worked, you've put a lot of hard work into. You've seen a lot of people that put literally longer than I've been alive into these sheep and, and to be able to, to have that mindset of, you know, I've, I've taken the four different species and, and, you know, you just want to have that experience, but not necessarily harvest the animal. Right. You want to let them, to let them grow. So that's awesome. Yeah. I'd, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd love for my wife to, you know, to, to get a sheep mm-hmm. or two or three. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see, but yeah, I, you know, I'm, so I hope I may, I may 
head back in there. I got to lose some weight. Uh, the the winter has been good to me or bad to me, depending <laughs> on how you want to look at it. I've wintered well, yeah. <laughs> but I got to get back into sheep shape. And uh, you know, that's another thing about sheep hunting is you know, hear term sheep shape. Yep. Um, you know, there's something about um, you know, and I know you know a, a, a big thing to you is is faith, family, and fitness. Um, you know, sheep hunting, mountain hunting, uh, forces you to think about your health. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, be fit and, you know, you can train all year for that sheep hunt that you may or may not be able to go on. I know it, it was, you know, the, the periods that I was just absolutely chasing sheep is, you know, some of the healthiest, uh, period of my life, you know, as, as a, you know, I'm 60 now, but, um, you know, my big sheep years were 2013, 2014, mm-hmm. you know, crazy enough. I took three sheep in, th- in 13 months. Wow. Again, lucky, yeah. um, uh, you know, spent some money, but then got lucky with the, with the bighorn. And then three years later, I got a desert. Yeah. And that's, that's impressive. So you were in your fifties yeah. when you got these three sheep in 13 months. Yeah. And that's, that again, speaks to the fitness aspect of things. And it's super important in my opinion to have a goal that keeps you going. Cause it's easy to let go of fitness. It's easy to let go of health. Right. Um, if you don't have something driving you, if you're just clocking in and out, you're nine to five, you lose interest. Yep. You know, if you're, if your big goal at the end of the day is to crack open some beers and watch Netflix, you're not going to want to go work out. You're, right. you're not going to have an amazing experience like the experiences you've had. And you're definitely not in your 50s. You know, I'm sitting right here. You don't look like you're 60. Uh, and that's that's a good thing. You know, we don't want to look the age that we're, right. we are. We right. want to look younger. Um, and, and it's awesome that you have extended your life of experiences, right? You didn't just say, well, I'm aiming for retirement, which so many people do. Well, okay when you retire, are you going to be healthy enough to do all these things that you're saying you want to do? Right. You know, and that all starts now. You don't have to go into the gym. You can just throw a backpack on and go for a walk. Sure. You can, you can go hike. If you have, if you're blessed to have mountains or trailheads, just get outside, soak up some sun rays and and work your lungs a little bit. You bet. Um, and so I think that's amazing to, to hear, you know, not, not a lot of people think about that. Um, there, there's another guy that I follow Cameron Haynes, um, who just got a big horn sheep. Yeah. I think it was Bighorn, right? California, yeah. or yeah. I don't yep. know the difference. Yep. But, California Bighorn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he and he's he an runs, animal. Oh, he runs. He <laughs> runs an more animal. in one day than I run probably in six months. Yeah, he's you know? just a machine. Exactly, and he's in his fifties, right. I think. Right, and so that just speaks to the little bit every single day of dedicating some time every day um, to your own health, investing in yourself. You mentioned investing in the stock market. Also, take that little chunk of time that you have. It, you know, maybe you've got a show that you like to binge watch while you're binge watching, do some pushups, do some air squats, just something like that right to get on. your blood flowing. Um, and so, yeah, fitness is definitely a big thing that I, I advocate for because I hate seeing people that I love deteriorate basically. I mean, sure. there's not another word for it. Right. Um, when they've lived these amazing lives and I think they could do even more and, and they're just, you know, falling apart in front of me. And, uh, I, I don't want that for anyone. You know, I want people to be in their 50s and 60s um, going after sheep, you know, and and not just talking about it, but actually doing it. Um, I did want to kind of wrap up here and, and, and talk to you a little bit about family. You're married. You have kids. I imagine. No, 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 no kids? kids, but okay. but married. I've got I've got a dog. OK, there you go. That's enough. Right. <laughs> um, so how how do you and your wife get involved? Does she go out 
side with you? Does she, you mentioned sheep hunting possibly with her? Um, does she into hunting? How, how does she get outside? with you Absolutely. Guys? And she, she too is a uh, adult onset hunter. Um, nice. and, and, you know, you'll have an opportunity to chat with her too, but she, uh, she's from Canada. Um, okay. and she's got a, uh, just an amazing story on how she decided to become a hunter. She, she, like me, doesn't come from a hunting family. So you didn't just go to Canada for sheep. You went- <laughs> <laughs> you I actually met her. I actually there. met her at our, I met my wife at, at our, we had an open house in Bozeman and she was she was fly fishing she got you know she loves the outdoors um, and she was fly fishing up in northwest Montana she had met one of my biologists at a at a um, uh, the Alberta Wild Sheep Foundation banquet up in Red Deer Alberta and, and so she was fly fishing in northwest Montana and and called my one of my employees said, hey you know uh, I see on the website you guys have an open house you know is it worth me driving down five hours and volunteering and helping out? And he goes, yeah, come on down. Anyway, she and I met and we fell in love and she loves the outdoors. I love the outdoors. Um, she's an adult onset hunter. I was an adult onset hunter. She's, she's 50, 51, I think, but, um, you know, we've got a slight age difference between us, but you know, we both love being outside. And so, um, fly fishing, the outdoors, hunting, uh, brings us together. You know, uh, we got, you know, we got married late in life, so, you know, we don't have kids. Um, you know, my kids, uh, oddly enough, are probably the three organizations that I serve for the last 32, 33 right. years. Shame on me, but, you know, that was, that was my focus at yeah. the time, but, um, you know, what, what the outdoors, what, um, you know, our angling and our hunting does is bring us together. And, um, you know, I mentioned before I, I have guided her on a, on a mule deer hunt. I would like nothing more than to take my wife Renee out into the mountains and get her a sheep. Yep. And that would, you know, when, then when Jonathan, when you say, well, what's your most memorial sheep hunt? Well, I'll tell you what it was, yep. you know, when my wife Renee, you know, took a wild sheep ran. I mean, to me, that's, you know, that's a cat's meow. Yeah. That's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And you know, there, you're talking about faith. It's, it takes someone dedicated like you um, and there's many people out there again, going back to the one, it still blows me away that someone has been researching an animal for longer than I've been on this earth. But, uh, you know, the fact that people are like, you are so dedicated, uh, that, that takes all sorts of respect. And I, I don't think that there's any problem at all saying that those organizations are your children, you know, that you put just as much time into that as someone would a child. And you've watched it grow. You've you've been a big contributor to this tripling of, or even more so, um, of how many sheep we have in North America. And that's that takes a lot of dedication, a lot of hard work. And I appreciate that. Even though I'm not big into sheep right now, you've you've convinced me to be part of that less than one. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you should. Well, yeah. boy, I don't I don't want to take credit at all for you know I, I'm I'm a cog in a wheel. Uh, I surround myself with incredible people, uh, whether there be staff or, or volunteers and, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to have been in this industry for a long run. Um, you know, again, the, the safari clubs for 18 years and it's now what, 14 for, uh, for wild sheep foundation. And, 
and again, it's it's the people that are dedicated to to the resource or the mission or right. or the you know the the purpose of an organization and. Um, I think it's why, you know, we as hunter conservationists are, are so passionate about what we do. Yes, we love the outdoors. Uh, we love to, you know, we love to be in the field. We love to be on the streams. We love to be in the mountains. Uh, but we also love to be around the people that share our ideals and, and share our beliefs. Um, many, many years ago, Jonathan, when I was with Safari Club International and I was I was thinking that, you know, the, how I was going to build that organization is fight for hunters' rights. And, yes, that's, that's you know, that's important. And mm-hmm. I'd even add the caveat hunters' privileges because yeah. we don't have a right to hunt. But that's a whole other topic. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was with a very bright um, consultant, and, and, you know, we were talking about how we were going to grow Safari Club International. And he says, what's the number one reason why someone would – or, you know, join an organization like this. And, you know, the answers were, well, because we fight for hunters and we do this. And, you know, it was Mm mission-based. And he said, no. The number one reason why a, a, a guy or a gal would join an organization like this is to be around other guys and gals like them. Mm-hmm. And that resonated with me. Um, you know, that that really did. And, and it's like, you know, if you're not creating an environment or not creating an organization or not creating an ecosystem that people want to be in and enjoy being in, you're never going to succeed. So, you know, I, I started my career as a sales guy. I'm still a sales guy. And I consider myself in the hospitality industry. You know, that I'm, I'm you know, I, my, my job is to build an environment, to build an organization that people want to support uh, for the passion that they have. And then hire very good biologists and other people that can um, help this resource. And then what I really do is raise money yeah. for that resource and try to direct it to the programs that we can put and keep more sheep on the mountain. Yeah, and that's a that's a big part. Um, unfortunately, money is involved, right? Uh, and I say unfortunately because you know we'd all like to snap our fingers and 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 not have to pay for what because you know what's required, you know what's sure. needed to help the sheep. You just there's this hurdle of money that you, you have to get over sometimes, you and bet. and that's a big contributing factor to. Um, I mean, to any organization. And so that, that's definitely a big deal to keep that wheel turning and, and things going. So, um, you know, and, and I think it's awesome that, that you and your wife connected over mm. the outdoors. Uh, you know, that's, that's quite, it's quite an awesome story. I mean, you know, and the fact that, that you guys are again into your fifties and sixties and still enjoying it as much as you do traveling to country and to other countries mm-hmm. to enjoy, uh, the, the outdoors. And that's something that's for me, a big part of my life. I've, I've realized that, um, most successful people, and it, you're very successful being a CEO, president, chief editor. Uh, that's all those things are big, big titles. But at the same time, you've earned that, and and that's that's success. You know, you've you've built these organizations up. Uh, whether you feel like you're the glue that brought people together, a cog in the wheel, I wouldn't say that. But it's it it still takes someone like you to organize all those things. And so. Um, 
I've noticed that people who are successful in life incorporate three things, the, the three main things I talk about. I wrap faith and family together because mm -hmm. for me it is an mm -hmm. eternal thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, the fitness aspect and the outdoors, you incorporate all three of those things into your life. You will be successful at whatever it is you're looking to be successful at. Mm -hmm. And, and I've noticed that a about a lot of people that, that are successful um, throughout their lives. So thank you so much again for being on uh, um, pleasure when people want to look up more information find you become part of the less than one club uh things like that where where can they find you at? um they can go to wildsheepfoundation.org uh we're also on um, instagram and facebook at wild sheep foundation uh, and we are soon going to launch a community for the less than one club so watch for that on social media as well but wildsheepfoundation.org is a great way to start uh, we obviously got a YouTube channel as well, so all the all the different mediums you can find us, you will, uh, and just look for Wild Sheep Foundation, and then very soon, less than one club. That's going to be a cool community. Yeah, no, definitely, and and I also like the fact that you guys are starting out with the veterans as well. You bet. Here in the next year or so, um, that that hits close to home. I didn't serve, but my entire family has pretty much, and so um, I know that that's that's a big deal for a lot of people that have given a lot of their lives you know, to be able to have something given back yeah, um, and that respect. So again, I appreciate it. And, uh, you guys, I'll leave the links down below, uh, to all the sites and places that you can find the wild sheep foundation. And as I always say, get out, live your life and love it.